0: I'm delighted that you've decided to tune in and rejoin us. We've got some absolutely fantastic content coming your way. So all that's left to say is sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode.
1: In order for your organization to make the best possible business decisions and to make the most of your data, you need the very best people and that's where Orbition Group comes in. We have a proven track record in partnering with some of the largest brands in the world to the most innovative and disruptive startups and everything in between. We go beyond traditional recruitment services. The organizations which we partner with benefit from the added extras that we offer such as raising your organization's brand awareness to the data and analytics community providing you with insights into the current market and your competition, benchmarking you against the industry to give you the best chance to successfully attract the best talent. We want to become an extension of your business to identify, engage, attract and retain the best talent possible. If this sounds of interest, please reach out today by visiting OrbitionGroup.com.
0: Welcome to Driven by Data, the podcast season three. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Jim Stern, who is the founder of the Marketing Analytics Summit and the director emeritus of Digital Analytics Association. So, Jim, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for inviting me, Kyle. Delighted to be here. No, no, the pleasure is uh, is all ours. So, Jim, where we always start is by asking our guests to give themselves a brief introduction into their background and, I guess, journey up until this point in time, um, if you'd be so kind. Um, I have always been at the
2: intersection of technology and marketing. And so how can you use technology to help you with your marketing? And I started with paper and pencil and and had to argue to get a... a keyboard on my desk because that's something only secretaries had and then i was the first one to buy one of the the cube macintosh computers so i could create my own overhead foils uh for overhead projectors yeah so yes i am officially an old fart um the but but tracking technology all along in order to figure out how it can help marketing is sort of my stock and trade it's looking over the horizon um whether it's it's i first job out of college was selling apple IIEs out of retail store i sold business computers to companies that had never owned one before i sold software development tools to software engineers who had not had an automated method of creating software before i was computer-aided software engineering what it was called in the early 80s Um, and then in 93 i saw the internet for the first time. And Mosaic was released and it blew my mind. And I started writing books and public speaking and then started my own conference in 2002. That's the Marketing Analytics Summit. It, it is 22 years old. It is still going strong. Um, it, the audience of that conference created the Digital Analytics Association. So I'm still involved in that. Um, tracking digital analytics very carefully throughout And now, uh, now I'm also adding to that, um, uh, helping companies with their AI transformation. So, latest book was Artificial Intelligence in Marketing, which was 2017. Um, And yes, I am going to have to now write another book on generative AI because, oh my God, I did not see that coming.
0: (laughs) Yeah. No. Well, uh, look. Thank you for the uh, for the kind of very comprehensive overview um obviously so much going on in your world there so i'm really keen to kind of delve into to some of this so i guess um when we first started speaking jim i obviously did a little bit of of research obviously as any good podcast host would right and i stumbled across a a video that you'd recently reshared, but this video was from 2018 um, and it was you know, a presentation that you were giving a pu- public speaking event where you were talking about the impact that artificial intelligence will have on our future lives. I think it'd be a really interesting kind of jumping off point to start there if you could kind of give me and the audience a bit of context about the theme of that talk. Uh, and then I guess, you know, that should segue nicely into the conversation. Well, that
2: was, um, that was a fun presentation I was asked to present about machine learning and what is, for marketing people, just to explain it well enough so they understand what kind of a tool it is and how it would be useful. There were also data scientists in the room. So I had to explain what is marketing, what are we trying to accomplish, what problems are we trying to solve, and what data do we have available to us? Because they're data scientists, they, they weren't marketing people. So having given those, both those sides of the conversation, now the marketing people and the data scientists could talk to each other. But then I said, you know, where this is going to lead is where our customers have their own AI agents acting on their behalf. And the scenario was me driving down the street and my agent says, Hey, there's a problem with the car. You know, your car's really old. It's time to buy a new one. And I've heard you and your wife talking about what you want to buy. So I've gone out and sourced. The best, least expensive, being able to deliver it in the soonest amount of time. Would you like it delivered this afternoon? Now, as a consumer, this is my agent. It's not Google or Amazon or IBM or AT&T. It is my personal device that knows everything about me. It tells my doctor everything about my medical history, and it tells my accountant everything about my financial history, but not vice versa. And I have given it agency to act on my behalf. It says, if it says, Hey, your dishwasher is about to fail. Here's the best price that'll fit in your kitchen, in your style, in your budget. And it can be delivered on Thursday. That's service that I am, that I want. I, I want that device happening for me. Well, now that was 2018 fast forward to 2023. And guess what? we have the technology we can do that now
0: absolutely no it was uh really interesting just just watching it and i guess uh also kind of seeing the reaction and <laughs> and kind of murmurs from the audience as well that was uh that made it all the more all the more interesting um so look yeah we've, we've got the technology now so let's jump into the whole kind of component then so Generative AI, obviously, you know, new new book pending. Have you started writing yet out of interest? Or you
2: know, I so I've committed to delivering a three hour workshop in the middle of June at my next marketing analytics summit in Las Vegas.
1: Okay.
2: <laughs> and every time I set aside like a half a day to create the presentation, I start the morning by reading a half a dozen newsletters that that are full of brand new stuff. Oh, it can do that now? So no, I have not started <laughs> writing the book. Thank you. So the book, let me let me reframe how I feel about it because the the workshop that I'm going to give is what does generative AI mean mean to marketers and to marketing analysts because it'll change the job, it'll change everybody's job. The book I'm going to focus more on how does an how does a large organization handle AI change management so i'm i am coining the chief ai transformation officer we we've been through digital transformation thank you covid to move that right along and now bam you get hit sideways with generative ai we're gonna, it's going
0: to change even more very interesting so i guess obviously i mean it's hard not to hear about this stuff right i mean you, yeah. you go on linkedin and it's pr- practically every second post is about generative AI. And uh, interestingly, in our field of work, we're now starting to see some uh, interesting looking job adverts that are popping up around, you know, the director of generative AI and all of this type of stuff. So it's a, a fascinating space. But obviously, since the launch of ChatGPT and then everything that's followed since the back end of last year... Mm-hmm. It's gathered momentum at a pace that I've not really seen anything else do or achieve. You know, I guess it's it's even filtered through beyond the technology, the marketing, the data, the analytics kind of community, just to general people in you know in, in all kind of walks of life now that are using this to ask ask it practically anything, right? But yeah, just give us a bit of insight, I guess, into that journey because I, I guess you know, the, the point which we're at now has been possibly a long time coming, right, in terms of the capability itself. Um, I think that would be a useful place to kind of delve well, into. Well, we've
2: been at this for 70 years. I mean, the the, the term artificial intelligence came up in the, the 1950s. They said, you know, thinking machines. Uh, this is This is Alan Turing, the Turing test, saying at some point, this is theoretically possible if we had enough data and if we had enough compute. And that was that was absolute science fiction back then. Well, now we have the cloud that can store an unbelievable amount of data. And we have the internet, which is the compendium of all the data that we've generated in the last 30 years. and And we have, thanks to the graphics industry, we have high-powered chipsets, not... CPUs, central processing units, but graphical processing units that run in parallel. And now, of course, um, what, NVIDA, the the most popular, successful graphics processing unit chip company in the world, says, well, that was interesting. Now we're going to make them specifically for AI. And companies like Amazon and Microsoft are saying, yeah, but you're not going to be able to produce them fast enough. So we're going to build our own factories to build chipsets, to run this stuff fast enough. And and then of course you get into the conversation about, uh, yeah, that's not really great environmentally because it's sucking up all of this, all of that energy that got put into Bitcoin and and mining crypto is now answering silly questions on the internet.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, in terms of the impact that this, that generative AI is going to have, I guess if you're thinking about this specifically from, you know, a technology, data analytics, marketing perspective, hmm. what, what impact does this have on on those kind of domains within businesses?
2: Enormous and completely. Next question. <laughs> I mean it. It, it is a, It is as important as computing, as important as internet, as important as mobile phone or smartphone. Pardon me. Right. It is a fundamental shift in how we use computers. So applied to marketing that of course, everybody knows that you can use it to write an infinite amount of ridiculous content, which means the idea of long tail content is back. We're not going to depend and and, and anybody who's in search engine optimization, search engine marketing, When we used to say, you need to rank highly in Google, that's gonna be a different animal now. So branding becomes important. If I say, if I go to my user interface, Bing, Bard, ChatGPT, whatever, and say, "Uh, what's the best battery to put into my flashlight? And if I'm asking, the Amazon Echo, it's going to say, Amazon has the best flash, uh, the best batteries for flashlights. So it's like, no, that's not my question. I'm going generically. And generically, it's going to spit out, well, here are the things you want to consider. And here's a cross-reference of the most popular batteries in a table form that shows you the pros and cons and the pricing of each. That's going to just spit out. And And how did you get onto that list? Branding. It wasn't that you had the most keywords on that one page. It's because the people who asked the questions clicked on the links, but you're, you don't show up unless you have done your advertising. You know, what, what, what soft drinks should I serve to my kid's 12th birthday party? Coca-Cola and Pepsi are going to be at the top of the list. And then it's going to get to seven up and Dr. Pepper. And Somebody who's creating a craft product in their garage is invisible and, and and won't, it's not like they're going to show up on the 17th page. They're just not going to show up. So that changes that little aspect of marketing. But the big deal that people aren't yet focused on because it's really a change of mind is it changes how you develop your strategy. People don't understand yet that they can go to these tools and say, I have a new product to launch. Uh, Give me a 12-point plan that I can execute within three weeks with a budget of two million pounds that only takes three people to execute that will give me the biggest visibility on uh, television news shows in the month of July. And it will just give you a plan. (laughs) Now, we have to be very cognizant that this is a large language model. It is guessing what the next word should be, what the most likely next word or concept is. It is not a search engine. It's not a fact checker. It doesn't have knowledge. It doesn't have reason. So anything that comes out of those tools has to be reviewed with a fine tooth comb. This is where domain knowledge becomes the most important thing. Hey, I'm, I'm, uh, college student that I've just spent six months doing nothing but prompt engineering. I know everything there is to know. I can get these machines to sing and dance. I'm ready. You should hire me for 300,000 pounds a year. It's like, uh, that's great, dude, but you don't know anything about the world or the marketplace or my product (laughs) or my customers or the politics in my company or the corporate culture. And so like, no, you can't help me Hmm. domain knowledge brand recognition become the most important commodity.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because I guess we've already started to see some high profile organizations. You know, I saw some news news clippings on LinkedIn about, you know, the CEO of IBM, reckons that they were going to cut X amount of jobs and replace it with generative AI, um, mm. you know, it's a <laughs> and that just fuels the fire of uh, AI is going to take over the world and replace our jobs and all of that type of stuff. But I guess what you're saying there is actually, no, this is, it's just going to enable us to do things better, quicker, faster, more efficient. But the important thing is, is that it needs to be managed like any other tool.
2: Yeah. Um, so so let's let's pull that apart a little bit. First of all, I get so frustrated when you know AI is not going to take your job. A person using AI is going to take the job of the person who's not using AI. That's that's where that sits. But when IBM says we're going to cut thirty percent of our our population because they're not helping us become AI oriented, it's like okay, cut off your nose to spite your face. That's What you've got is a bunch of people who you are already vetted, they're already ingrained, they're already on board, and everybody on the planet needs to be retrained on how to use these tools. Oh, no, says IBM. We we want people who can help us create them. "Mm, Yeah, but if you don't use them, you don't know how to create them well for the best use. So you know what? You need to retrain. Not, don't, don't fire people and you, oh, you're going to hire thousands of data scientists. Good luck with that. Train people to become data scientists because what is the first job that's going to be taken by machine learning and generative AI? It's creating machine learning and generative AI models. Why? Because the people who are creating this stuff, what is their domain specialty? It's all about data so they're going to automate the ability to collect manage munch cross reference slice and dice data and deliver insights and charts and graphs and and suddenly somebody's going to go hey you know what would be good since since it understands how to do all of that stuff and we've fine tuned the model on our own internal data What if we, instead of making it an answer machine, what if we made it a question machine so that when the user says, I want to launch a new product, uh, it says, OK, tell me a few things. I have some questions for you. Have you thought about any names? Who is the target audience? What's your time frame? What's your budget for promotion? And I I ask the machine to, to give me charts and graphs about these metrics over time. Well, what is it that's important to you about these metrics? What business decisions are you going to be making based on the results? What's your expected uh, range of results? Do you, if it's below what you expect, what will you do? If it's above what you expect, how will you act? Would you like me to automate those processes for you? That's that's a different kind of how do you use a computer? That's what we
0: need to train for. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're starting to to creep into there, how this is going to impact data teams, but I guess day to day then in terms of the changes that are afoot through the use of kind of generative AI within organizations, what does that look like in reality, in your opinion, how the data team and the data leadership operate and need to think about how they, you know, add commercial value to the businesses that they're serving?
2: Well, two ways. First is uh, how do we create trustworthy tools for our employees to use and for our customers for interfacing with the company? Um, we're you know uh, um, right now we've got ChatGPT and we're at level four, and if I take my customer, my sorry, my company internal proprietary data and upload it to ChatGPT. Uh, I I named my company Samsung and employees get in deep trouble for revealing internal proprietary data to this large language model. Oops. So Samsung did the same thing here that IBM is talking about with their employees. Samsung said, nobody can use ChatGPT anymore. Dude, no, that's not right. What's right is, how do you use it? Number one, do not upload any proprietary information. Do not ask it to summarize internal meetings that have proprietary information. Yeah, okay, good. But wow, is it useful. And if you don't allow people to use it, they won't learn how. Like, no, nobody's allowed to use spell check from now on because (laughs) it once spelled something wrong and we don't like it. No, that's not right. So that's step one. And the solution to this is, Large language models, so for instance, Meta, Facebook, just released their large language model open source. That means you can put it behind your firewall and train it on your proprietary data and it won't go out into the wild. So you can have all of the emails that go back and forth inside your company go into the system so I can ask... Oh, I've got this weird little technical problem. Is there anybody in the company that that can help me with this? I'll say, well, yeah, the person who gets the most questions and answers the most questions about this problem is so-and-so, and here is an email I've written for you to send them. Would you like to hit send now? It's like, yeah, done. Where are we on this project? What is our most profitable product in the last quarter in the north of the country, And what are the projections for it in the next six months going forward? And how do those projections change if we alter our spend, uh, off of Facebook and onto TikTok? So what we just described is significantly changing what the data analyst does for a living because all of the ad hoc questions just go away. The machine can answer them. Uh, we're seeing that already with with Salesforce and HubSpot who've who've put these generative AI user interfaces on top of their products. So it knows who my customers are. It knows what my sales are. It, it knows how often the sales rep has reached out to that particular prospect. And I can just ask it questions. Okay, so what what is the job for the data people? Well, they've just become the stewards of our most valuable asset which is our data our data more than ever before needs to be trustworthy and clean and available because that's the moat that's that's the the competitive advantage everybody has this incredible powerful tool now which you can run on a laptop by the way but what they don't have is your data your data is what sets you apart. So, uh, as an organization, I'm going to be hyper vigilant about making sure my data has good governance, that the pipelines are solid, that the stewardship is in place. So when the CEO is, is in a meeting with anybody and they have a question and they ask the machine, the CEO can count on the answer being correct. That's, that's where the data people have to focus their time and effort. It means that there's going to be a, a, a flourishing of new companies that are offering large language models, secure, you know, on a, behind the firewall. Companies that are going to be offering, um, the companies that are already offering data aggregation are now their valuation goes up because I'm going to take the data that I have and I want to enhance it with third-party data, open source data, government data, and bring all that together in a certain way and train it for my company. And then I predict uh, federated data. Um, there's this amazing science fiction book, very short. It's called Jennifer government. And the premise is that you've got these two warring factions. One of them is made up of Coca-Cola and Nike and, and Microsoft and McDonald's. And the other one is Pepsi and Adidas and Burger King. (laughs) And they share data with each other and they fight each other for competitive advantage, like literally in the street with guns. It's, it's a great book, but the premise is believable now because the more data that I have access to and can share, you know, read up on, on what a data clean room is. It's where different companies share data, but in a way that's secure and privacy enhanced and bias controlled and all that stuff. It, yeah, it becomes really interesting. And I am just totally
0: rambling now. Was there a question in there? <laughs> no, I mean, what well, that's, um, super fascinating what really interested me there was you know you talked around about how data now becomes an organization's biggest asset to be able to bring all of these sources together and train it specifically for our business um or our individual businesses um but i guess the the irony here is that, you know, that, that's the kind of language that most organizations already use, right? You know, data is our biggest asset, maybe behind people, which, um, you know, is <laughs> another, uh, <laughs> is another, another story for, for another time. Um, but yet, you know, what we've seen happen time and time again over the years is organizations trying to do things that are probably, you know, doing things that are, they shouldn't be doing at this point in time because, of things like you mentioned, you know they don't have access to the right type of data. They don't know mm-hmm. the, the cleanliness, the quality, all that stuff, but they got kind of sidetracked into this um, you know, magpie vision of there's the shiny AI, let's go and chase that. But this feels like now it becomes the, almost like the bedrock that says, actually now if you make sure that all of that stuff that you've kind of been paying lip service to a little bit about how important it is, if you actually make it important, this is what allows you to flourish. It kind of feels like this is big enough to bring all of that together to become more of a reality rather than just something that we often speak about.
2: Yeah. Uh, because the reason that AI is shiny is that the data is solid and trustworthy, which is why ChatGTP is so much fun because it's trained on what's on the internet, which is, you know, mostly crap. So that's, that's what comes out the other end. I mean, I, one of the first things I did was ask it to tell me, uh, uh, what is Jim Stern known for? Oh, well, marketing analytics summit, a digital analytics association. And he's written a bunch of books, including artificial intelligence for marketing, practical applications, and, and it listed three more books that I've never heard of because <laughs> it's just guessing what the next, and I thought, oh, I guess I have to write those now, huh? <laughs>
0: yeah i mean it's such a fascinating landscape so i guess one of the things that we talk about often especially you know within the kind of uh, general data and analytics world is this whole notion of adoption and getting organization and the leadership within the organization to to kind of almost buy into the hype and put their money where their mouth is and, you know, for it to become an actual thing within the business that, you know, you are data driven in in kind of quotation marks. But Mm -hmm. I guess from the point that we're at now, in your opinion, what do you think businesses need to do to make sure that that adoption journey unfolds so that they make the most of the opportunity? (sighs) (laughs)
2: <sighs> <laughs> let let people experiment people are going to learn by playing with this stuff and you have to give them time to learn how um when when we first started using spreadsheets we didn't know all the wonderful things you could do with a spreadsheet and oh wow they're incredibly powerful they're it, it's still the most powerful tool an analyst has because you can manipulate the data wonderfully now we've got incredibly sophisticated tools that require heavy duty training and you know i need the adobe analytics specialist and i need the spss statistician to to work with me on those things but everybody needs to learn how to use generative ai as a user interface so let them let them learn but let's go back to first principles if we had this data and we could correlate it with that data and we could ask ad hoc questions, then we could get this business value. And as you roll out case after case after case after case, upper management will just go, okay, 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 it's business value. That's fine, that's what we want. And whether they understand how it works or not isn't as important as understanding that when the data people promise that we'll get business value if they can invest in these tools and this data, if, if that is true and trustworthy and every time they make a promise, they deliver on the promise, hey, run with it. Great. It's a business decision. It's not a, wow, let's embrace this exciting new world decision. It's what will it mean to the, the most important things to business, which are make money, save money, make customers happy, uh, improve capabilities, and reduce risk. That's it. If, if you can tell me that using this shiny new tool, if you came in and told me that using a neural connection to your brain through a quantum computer will help me lower risk and raise revenue, I'd say, yeah, knock yourself out. I, I don't know what those things are, but you believe it. And the last three times you came to me with some cockamamie idea, it paid off. Yeah, run like hell. Terrific. I'll invest.
0: Yeah. I guess, is there a risk here then that, some organisations kind of get caught up with the hype because i guess what what we've definitely seen from the data analytics industry as a whole is that and i literally posted about this this morning on linkedin it, it always fascinates me how many organisations started their data analytics journey not from a point of strategic intent right you know so it wasn't to be be, be a better business to improve revenue or sales or profit or reduce cost or improve efficiencies or reduce, mitigate risk, whatever the case may be. Um, It was that, you know, let's have a dig around. There must be some value in here somewhere. But to do that, you know, you need to go and hire a load of analysts, scientists, engineers. Before you know it, they've built a platform and then everyone's looking at each other going, well, where's the value, (laughs) right? Um, Is there a risk here with this generative AI that organizations get so pulled, it's sucked into the capability of it that to just spend a lot of time and money playing with it that then, you know, we kind of end up in the same situation.
2: Well, I not, not to pick on IBM intentionally, but let's talk about Watson. When Watson won the Jeopardy show, quiz show, then everybody got incredibly excited, especially IBM. And Watson became the center of everything. And it became... Um, So IBM used to have a web analytics tool. And when Watson became the the love child of IBM, they said, everybody has to have Watson now. You're going to use Watson for everything. So their web analytics tool became the IBM web analytics tool with Watson. And everything at IBM was with Watson, which was at the time, pure market It was integration at the brochure level. And that was it. And so they got too excited about it too soon. I think this is a different story that there's, there's ways to do it where you are sucked into the hype and, and you just throw money at it. And we saw that with big data, we need to hire a bunch of data scientists. Okay, to do what? Well, to do data science. Yeah, but why? This is different. This is, we need to train everybody in the company, like everybody in the company, to use their computer in a different way, to create, you know, the, the janitorial scheduling spreadsheet, to figure out uh, how to lower the cost of energy, to find new markets and invent new products, to run payroll, it is it it does impact everything. So we don't know how to do it wrong yet. It's too new.
0: Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, humans are great creatures of um, figuring out how to do stuff wrong, Jim, aren't they? So um, I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure it won't be long before someone before someone nails that. But um, I guess one thing I do want to touch on then: are talking about you know retraining your whole organization to be better at how they use you know that whole that whole piece where does data literacy fit into this because that's mm. been such a hot topic um for the last three to five years right about the importance of data literacy and you then get sucked into the debate around you know the the language itself and it is you know does that mean that you're calling someone illiterate and oh you know all of the kind of nonsense yeah. that comes with that but i guess what role does this play within that kind of debate of data literacy? You know, is it uh, something that can help us to improve data literacy, or do you think it kind of takes the need away, or is it going to cause an extra layer of confusion? What What do you think this this does?
2: All of the above. <laughs> um, just had a great conversation with Tom Davenport on that, on our Data-Driven Leader Studio conversations, um, so Studio to find more Uh, he is writing a book on, uh, data democratization. And so our conversation was, well, what does generative AI do? Oh, well, Hmm. so the first thing, um, is ad hoc questions, the, the bane of the existence of every analyst. Like I'm trying to build some infrastructure. I'm trying to create a dashboard. I'm trying to create an automated system. And you're stopping me every 10 minutes to ask me a silly question. Well, now You can ask the machine the silly questions. Hooray, that's that's a problem off the analyst's desk. If the data is reliable and if there is a strong enough data dictionary, because when I ask what are our highest margin products that have done the best in Wales in the last quarter, okay, have we defined each one of those words? So we know what whales is, yay. Um, Highest margin, how are you measuring margin? And does everybody who's asking that question using the same definition of margin? And what does doing the best mean? And, And et cetera, et cetera. So data literacy now becomes business speak literacy because I don't have to completely understand the schema or where it came from. My data stewards need to know that. But as a business user, I don't need to be data literate so much, but I need to understand the business lingo. So Tom Davenport has the uh, Davenport's law of common information that says the more important something is to a company, the more definitions they have for it. (laughs) The example being uh, a an unnamed airline has 11 different definitions for what is an airport. It depends. Are you a pilot? Are you a mechanic? Are you, is it an airfield out in the country where you can land a glider? What does it mean to you? And so you have to have the data dictionary that when I say, how much foot traffic did we get in airports last month? Well, wait, what do you mean by airports? Now, if I've created my generative AI system well enough, it'll come back and say, I'd be happy to answer that question. Which kind of airports did you mean? How are you defining margin? Are you aware that everybody else in the company uses that term this way? Is that okay? And now data literacy happens as you use the system. Mm. It's not like, oh, we have to teach everybody. No, they'll find out because the system will say, I don't understand what you mean when you say profitability. Can you describe that for me? Is it one of these six things? So so that takes a big load off of data literacy, but puts a giant load on how do you ask a good question? How do you ask a question that will move the needle for the business toward the, the goals that the business has set forth and that will help you earn your bonus?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting, very interesting. I guess as you were talking there there was a whole host of. i mean i speak on this topic um very openly and very freely because i think the data analytics industry has a, a very very bad habit of you know everyone's debating the same topic and the same word the same term but talking about different things right so you know i don't know value value is a perfect word right you know <laughs> So, you know, value is a word that for all intents and purposes, everybody knows what it means. You know, what is the value of your house yet? Yeah, but in business, we're talking about the value of something that is a benefit or, you know, is it, is he kind of, are we putting a figure on this or so that it's really interesting. I think that's, that's probably only going to be a good thing if we kind of, you know, sharpens everyone's focus around the the need to be kind of communicating in a common language for sure. Conscious of time, but there's a couple of things that I want to finish on, Jim. Um, Obviously, the opportunity and the potential upside and benefits to this are huge. Obviously, as with anything in this space, there's always a a risk of, of any sort. But I guess, what do you see the challenges being for organizations to actually get into this, get using it, getting, you know, generating real business commercial value from it?
2: You, you generate business value immediately because things happen faster. Um, I I can only hope that before you got in touch with me or after you've decided to do this interview, that you asked ChatGPT what questions to ask me, because that that's what we need to be thinking all the time. We got trained for, oh, I can use a spreadsheet instead of a calculator. Then we got trained of, oh, I can just Google it now we have to be trained for i will ask chat gpt and and it's this learning process of i need to write an opening paragraph for my email newsletter that's going to grab people i've written a dozen books i'm a writer by trade can i write that faster than i can do prompt engineering to ask the machine to write something that works well for me or should i just let it do the first? draft, and then I fix it. That's a learning process. There is no answer for that. That depends on who you are and what you're trying to accomplish and and how much you know about asking a good question. Mm. So everybody should be using it right away just to play with it, just to understand it, just to try it. The next problem is educating everybody about what a large language model is and, and what questions you should ask and what questions you should not ask. Um, uh, how, you know, what books has Jim Stern written? That's a factual question. Go to Google. Don't go to chat GPT. What should I, what outline should I use to discuss generative AI in a three hour workshop I'm giving in June? Great. I disagree with half of it, but I've got a place to start now businesses, the investment that has to be made depends on focusing on what's most important to the company at the moment. And that is going to, I mean, now, now we go to, to, um, Lencioni's book on, on the advantage or the five dysfunctions of a team, get senior management to agree on what your primary goals are. And then the rest of us can execute. But if, you know, if, if, Raising revenue is more important than saving money. That's important. If reducing risk is most important that then we need to know that. And then you invest in the research. So there's just let people learn that's education and then the research into, okay, how do we take a large language model and create an internal secure uh, chat capability with our own data? So I look at uh, Bloomberg, the financial company that's been using this kind of chat capability for their financial analysts who are advising customers. So the machine will look at who is the customer, what are they invested in, what have they said their goals are, what is the current marketplace activity happening, and the analyst uses the machine to generate ideas to talk to the client about. They don't let the client and the machine talk to each other human in the middle, but extraordinarily carefully curated data for this. It's because they're going to make financial advice. It's not just general stuff they found out on the internet. It's all of the reports and all of the research that Bloomberg has done themselves carefully curated to provide valuable enough answers that it is saving time and making their agents more capable rather than sending them off on goose chases. So how do I, as an organization, how many models can I create that will help my employees do their job?
0: Interesting. I guess, does this, in your opinion, level the playing field a little in regards to kind of raw talent and ability? Because I guess if you were to use your copywriting example, right? You know, you've got two people, um, they might both be great copywriters, but inevitably one will probably be better than the other, depending upon your point of view and opinion. But I guess if now we can use generative AI to do the heavy lifting, are we in a place where it's a level playing field and really, to go back to your point, it's more around the person that learns how to ask the best questions is probably the person with the advantage.
2: Um, I am going to quote Paul Raitzer from the Marketing AI Institute who says, ChatGPT is the floor. If what you create is only as good as ChatGPT, why are you bothering me? Everything after that has to be better than that. So the fact that I got my degree in Shakespeare means I can be more eloquent on what I'm asking the machine to do. The fact that I have started playing with this months ago means I have an advantage because I'm learning what works and what doesn't work. Talent matters. Domain knowledge is enormous because I, as a user of this system, need to know that when it spits out an answer, does it pass the smell test? The simplest example is... I give the machine all of my marketing materials and all the information about my customers, and I ask it to find lookalikes out in the world to send an email to, to promote my product and write, write a headline, a subject line for that email that guarantees the most opens. And that's the goal for the machine. And it's just gonna crank around, try different language and try different times of day and do different segmentation for my audience. And it's going to arrive at the fact that the best open subject line possible is, we have your children. And if you ever wanna see them again, open this email. (laughs) This is not good for branding. This doesn't pass the smell test. It's statistically correct. The machine did what we told it to do, but we need a human in the loop. And the human has to know what is good? So my my farcical definition of machine learning is that which is very good at telling the difference between good and bad and has no idea about the difference between right and wrong.
0: Well, Jim, coming towards the end, um, I, I feel that we could probably chat for another hour at least on this stuff. It's a fascinating conversation. I guess where I do want to finish then and probably too big of a question but I'm going to uh, put you on the spot and try to get an answer from you w- what do you think the future looks like in regards to this for generative AI I appreciate it's moving at such a pace that that's almost an impossible question to answer but if you were to put your hat on something where do you see this going in another you know I don't know 3 5 10 years
2: so so I've always said since the internet happened I've said that that 5 years out is science fiction well now it's 5 months <laughs> because we've got people who are building stuff on top of these things that and we're giving them agency. Um we just saw OpenAI's code interpreter be released in beta last week. And it can absorb data and provide insights and narratives and charts and graphs all on its own. So what does that mean if they can do that? Some company that has been doing data analytics tools for generations is now able to do it at hyperspeed. And people will build things on top of that, on top of that, on top of that. So, for the data and analytics industry, it means that um, the the winner in data analytics is going to be the one who teaches the model how to act like an analyst by asking questions. Tell me these three numbers. Well, the three numbers are X, Y, and Z. Why are you asking? How is that helping you? Which which business problems are you trying to solve? I've got a bunch of other data that might be even more useful than those three metrics, which is what an analyst does. like, why do you wanna, know, that's that's insulting, why do you wanna know? But that's really the question we're asking. It's like, how, how would the answer to this question help you with your business? And now it's a conversation. And everybody on the planet is going to have their AI. Well, the term lately is co-pilot. It's what Microsoft likes. That's what GitHub is using to sit there on the side and, and be your brainstorming partner. Now we're all a lot smarter, but level the playing field. It is raised the level of the playing field. And now talent will spike up above that Mm
0: -hmm. still yeah yeah absolutely well jim perfect thank you so much for uh agreeing to come on the show and spending some time with us today it's a fascinating conversation and um yeah look forward to seeing how your presentation next month goes and um look forward to keeping in touch well wish me luck about that and kyle thank you so much
2: for having me on the show i've really enjoyed this
0: that's it for this episode of driven by data the podcast i hope you enjoyed it I'll be back next week speaking with another thought leader from the world of data and analytics. Until then, please follow our group on social media if you've not already done so where you'll be able to subscribe and therefore be made aware of the podcasts as they arrive. And please share, like and leave reviews so that more people from our industry get to hear and benefit from these two. If you've got any questions or you want to suggest ideas for topics or potential guests then please feel free to reach out to me thanks for listening and i'll be back next week